Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. All right. So this morning we continue our series entitled Foodies, and, and really we're just going through the book of Luke and taking a closer look at every time Jesus ministered around the dinner table. Uh, whenever Jesus spent time with foodies, how many are foodies here today? How many could talk about food all day long? Could think about food? Could, you know, graze upon food all day long? Yeah, I'm with you. But every time he spent time with foodies, he taught them life-changing truths uh, through his actions and with his words. And this morning, we're going to take a closer look at Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus. And I'm telling you, what just happened in worship service this morning... And thank you to the worship team. Thank you, Pastor Jared, for, man, you're on fire today, buddy. Way to go. Love it. Give him a hand. That's awesome. Give the Lord a hand. Everything that just happened fits so beautifully into this. I, I, was just, um, I, I was just sitting there weeping, going, man, God, you're just planning out this service so wonderfully. But let's look at Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. And I'm going to have you stand. We've been doing this every week, only a couple more weeks of this uh, series. So if, if you don't like standing and reading, you know, just endure. If you love it, say amen. amen. All right. Well, a lot of you love it, so we're all good. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Burn it into our hearts today. Let us just pull the truth out and God saturate us with your truth today in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. So we'll start with some foodie facts. This is a very well-known scripture. Um, you know, you, you all even know a song about it, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Yeah, see, you all know it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's not American Idol. I mean, just settle down. It's great, great, though. It's a great song. But in the way of foodie facts regarding the Scripture, there's some things I want to pull out. First of all, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. We just read it. It says it verbatim. He was a chief tax collector. And we went over this when we talked about Levi, who was also a tax collector. Levi, who was called Matthew after his encounter with Jesus, if you remember, invited Jesus over to his home for a meal and became the author of the gospel according to Matthew. And you probably remember uh, that tax collectors were not considered to be good people. 
right? They, they weren't good people. The Romans had this elaborate system for collecting taxes from the foreigners who lived within their borders, and, and there were different types of clax, or tax collectors. The, the Gabe, we talked about that when I was talking about Levi, um, they, uh, they collected taxes on land, property, and income, and there really weren't a lot of ways for the Gabe tax collectors to skim off the top. Uh, and then you had the mooks. Everybody say mooks. All right. Who, they collected taxes on everything else. And these guys, they made their whole living by overcharging and then skimming off the top after they had taxed the people. And so they weren't considered good people, obviously. They would set up their little tax booths along the roads, the bridges, and the, and the docks, and they would tax everyone for any reason they could come up with. Anything that moved along the road, they would tax it. And you might remember that there were two types of mooks that we talked about, the great mooks and the little mooks. The great mooks had contracts with Rome, while the little mooks did the actual collecting of the taxes. They were collecting. They were doing the dirty work, right? Matthew was a little mook, but Zacchaeus was a great mook. That's the difference between these two guys. And this was a position of power and, and authority um, as he oversaw his group. For, for, we're talking about Zacchaeus here. There's this position of power and authority as he oversaw his group of little mooks who did the collecting. It was like they were his minions, and they did the, his bidding. And there's no doubt that Zacchaeus was hated for what he did. He was hated. He was a Jewish guy who was working for the Roman oppressive government, collecting taxes from the Jewish people by over, and then making a living by overcharging them, and, and anything he wanted, by the way, because he had the authority to do so, and then he would live off that. And so he was getting wealthy. He was a fat cat while everybody else was suffering, and he went along and did that. Can you imagine that today? Not too hard. <laughs> but he was hated. He was considered to be a traitor, an extortioner, a greedy, unclean, abusive sinner and, and, and the, by the rest of the Jews. And, and he wouldn't have even been able to worship as a Jew in the synagogue. They would have, dis, uh, like, they, they would have disassociated him. I don't know what the word is. They'd have kicked him out of church. We'll say it that way. They'd have kicked him out of church. He wouldn't have been able to be there. In their minds, he was no better than murderers and thieves. I mean, they put him in that category. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. That's a, that's a fact for you and what that means and what, what, what ramifications are involved with that. Number two, Zacchaeus was sought by Jesus. He was sought by Jesus. And I think this is, bears out in Scripture. It's, it's interesting to note that Jesus intentionally went to Jericho. It was an important city in the region and it was strategically located on the major road between Galilee and Jerusalem, but it seems that he stopped there for the specific purpose of ministering to Zacchaeus. And as you read it and meditate on it, I think you'll see why I believe that, and I'll give you a couple reasons. Jesus saw him, and he called him by name. That's important. I mean, he just, he's not just walking along, you know, skipping along, and people are following him, and he's going, you know, saying nice stuff and all this, and... I mean, when he, when he points out a guy like this, Zacchaeus, this is, a, this is a town he wasn't in all the time, but he knew this guy. Maybe he went there on purpose to talk to him. Maybe. That's, that's one reason, because he called him by name. I, I'm sure that he, as a great mook, he was well known in the region, but it almost, it almost seems like Jesus was looking for him. 
The intentionality of Jesus' stop in Jericho and his meeting with Zacchaeus seems to also be shown by the fact that he invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Matthew had invited Jesus over, if you remember. But this is different in that Jesus told Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. So he like had this plan. I'm gonna go to Jericho, I'm gonna see this guy Zacchaeus, who's never mentioned before this, I'm going to see Zacchaeus, I'm going to call him by name, I'm going to call him down from the tree, and I'm going to say, hey, I have to go to your house today. It seems pretty intentional, doesn't it? Zacchaeus was sought by Jesus. Number three, he climbed a sycamore fig tree. This is a little foodie fact about that. Some of you uh, um, might know that that when you read the Bible, uh, at least I do this, I believe everything in the Word of God is there for a reason. Every detail. And I also believe that sometimes we'll never know the details of why they're in there until we're in heaven. Some things we just can't know. But I think as we meditate and we read it and we study it and we, we look at it through the eyes of the rest of the Bible and the rest of Scripture, sometimes truths come out. And um, so I, when I was reading about Zacchaeus climbing a sycamore tree, I asked the question, why does the scripture give us that information? Why not just say that Zacchaeus climbed a tree? Why does it have to be a sycamore tree? There's probably a reason. I don't know if I know the reason for that, but there's a reason. So I started thinking, I started praying, I started meditating on that. Why this description of it being a sycamore tree? So I started studying sycamore trees and I found out some interesting things. There are different kinds of sycamore trees, and and the ones that grow in that region of the world are generally sycamore fig trees. They look like this, sycamore fig trees. They can grow to be about 70 feet in the air. Um, This is the ficus sycamorus, if you will. Uh, Say that and you'll sound smart. Ficus sycamorus. Nobody wanted to say it, so all right. Either you don't want to sound smart or you're so smart already that you don't need to sound smart. So the ficus sycamorus tree was often grown along the roads for shade. They, they would put them there on purpose. They'd plant them there because they provide a good shade. And it's not the same as a fig tree, um, like the figs that, that you would think of, um, but it does produce a fig-type fruit. It's just smaller, the fruit is, and it, and it has a harder makeup than the figs that are normally harvested for their fruit. They are, however, edible, and they have been used for food for centuries, and many animals depend on this fruit as well. In Jericho, which is where we're at in the story of Zacchaeus, one of the top visited spots for tourism, still to this day, is the Zacchaeus sycamore tree, which I thought was really interesting. It can't be substantiated that it's the actual tree that Zacchaeus climbed, but the tree has apparently been tested to be over 2,000 years old, and this, this is the tree I'm talking about. I don't know if that's probable or not, I don't, I don't, or provable, I, I don't know. It's just what is said if you go and you take the tour and you see the Zacchaeus tree. In Israel, sycamore trees, and you can leave that picture up for just a little bit more, sycamore trees grow and they thrive within the dry climate that's there. And they defy the harsh conditions in that It's a place where other trees really struggle to survive, but the sycamore fig tree does not. It thrives there. The the Israeli people themselves have been compared to this tree, a a people that's resilient, strong, and tenacious. How many know the Israelites, the Israeli people of today even, are strong and resilient, and they have been out throughout history, all throughout history? 
Okay? Just as the sycamore tree has continued to thrive, so does the spirit of the Israeli people who have faced such intense adversity. And what a great reminder to us. Every time we read this story and think of that sycamore tree Zacchaeus climbed, we should think of how resilient that tree is and how resilient we are in Jesus. Just like that tree thriving in the toughest arid conditions, in Christ Jesus, we can thrive in whatever circumstance or situations this life may throw at us. We're resilient and we can bloom wherever we're planted. And if you just stop and think about that, how many have ever gone through a time that was a little tough? Nobody, wow. I mean, have you say amen if you have? I mean, so be it you have, right? You have, we all have. This life's not easy, we go through things. But this sycamore tree is like a picture to us. This, this tree that gives shade and grows 70 feet tall in an arid place. This tree that thrives where other trees don't thrive. I mean, it's a picture for us that in Christ, in Christ, we can thrive in whatever situation's thrown at us. And some of us have to go through tougher things than others. I get that. But we can all still thrive. It's also important to note that Zacchaeus climbing up that sycamore tree, it was a demeaning thing for him. He looked like a fool to those who saw him climb that tree. I mean, he's a short little guy, right? I mean, I don't, I don't have to go into the history of the little people that exist in this world and how they've been put in circuses and how they've found their, you know, their, their, their way to earn livings by, by using that and people looking at, the, at them and, and laughing at them. And some of them don't mind that at all, but some of the little people in this world probably despise that fact. I don't know if Zacchaeus was a little person or if he suffered from dwarfism or anything like that. He was very short in stature, though. He could not see through the crowd at all, so he had to climb that tree. And it was probably a little demeaning to him. He looked a little bit like a fool. Also, because he's rich, he's an important government official, and yet he didn't have the physical height or the political clout to see Jesus without climbing that tree. I mean, can you imagine? Hey, look, look at little Zacchaeus over there, rich boy. He's got to climb a tree. That's just funny. I mean, that's probably how it was, right? It, Put yourself in the, in the story and think about it. And it's not hard to make a connection between Zacchaeus looking like a fool to see who Jesus was and us looking like fools for our faith. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. In a way, that tree also provided the means by which Zacchaeus overcame his personal obstacles. He was short, and the tree provided a boost for him to see. The cross of Christ is like that tree in that it helps us overcome our own personal obstacles in this life. That sycamore tree provided the opportunity for Zacchaeus to see, hear, and be saved. This should always remind us that the tree Jesus was crucified on provides us with the opportunity to be saved. Thank God for the cross, the tree that became the cross. The cross is foolishness to those who aren't saved, but to us, it's the only way that we can be saved, that we can attain everlasting life. So those are just some foodie facts in the story, some things that are, are interesting to note, but, but where's the beef in this? 
Everyone's a keeper, number one. And I stole this line from Jay Calloway. He wrote a book called Everyone's a Keeper. But everyone is a keeper. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a keeper. You cannot read the story of Zacchaeus and not see the God, that, that God values every single individual. Jesus' choice to interact with Zacchaeus, the lowest of the low in society, one of the most despised individuals within that culture, demonstrates his love, affection, and value of every individual. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church, who is the bride of Christ, would start expressing that love, affection, and value to every individual that does not yet know Christ as their Savior? That we actually value people? You know, last Monday we had that outreach, and some people, I, I, I've heard through the years, you know, why do you do something near or on Halloween? And it wasn't Halloween, it was beggar's night, which I love in Iowa because it gets us off that night, right? But even so, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because the devil isn't going to steal even one day from me. I don't care what he says that day is. He ain't going to steal that day from us. I mean, we are, we are the, 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 uh, the church, the bride of Christ, right? That event, every single year, every single year we do it, is probably the most effective way that, I, that we have as a church to reach or to tell this community, at least, at least that I've seen, to tell this community that we love them, that we care about their kids, that we value them, that we want to provide a place for them. You know, it was a whole lot of extra work to clear all these chairs out of here. It was a whole lot of extra work to put them back in here. Um, they're, they're not even that straight, even though you guys did a good job, whoever did it. <laughs> you know, I, was, I came in and I was like, well, they're, they're not quite perfect, but who cares? It's not about the chairs being straight. I mean, what if we came in here today and the chairs hadn't been moved yet? We'd just sit on the floor and we'd be fine. Oh, I don't know if I could get up. We'd help you. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know if I could get down. I said, we could help you. <laughs> you know, none of that stuff matters. What matters is that we are a, 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 a church that shows the people around this community that we love them and we value them and that we see them. That's what matters. That's what matters. That's what matters, church. That's all that matters, that we love them and we show them that they're valuable. Everyone is a keeper. Jesus even uses the most beautiful word that can be spoken in any language when he calls Zacchaeus' name. He says, Zacchaeus. Do you realize that calling somebody by their first name is the most beautiful word in the language that you're speaking in? Calling them by name. Calling them by name. Some people, oh, I have a hard time. How many have ever said, I can't remember names. I'm terrible with names. Get over it and get good at names. Because it's a beautiful thing to be able to call somebody by their name. You're going to fail at it. I am too. You know, you don't all have a secret weapon, Alyssa, standing next to you whispering everybody's name in your ear like I do. I'm like, who is that? She goes, you know. 
They've been coming here for 20 years. You know their name. <laughs> it's not quite that bad, but sometimes almost. But getting good at that, whatever that takes, changing, saying, you know what, I'm going to stop saying I'm bad at, at names. Right? I'm, we're great at names, aren't we? <laughs> Are you great at names? Yeah. yeah, amen. Speak it into existence if you have to. He says, Zacchaeus. He calls him by name, a sign that he cared, a sign that he was important to Jesus. After all, there was a crowd of people, and Jesus called his name out loud. You know, this, this wasn't meant to be. You already had people do, with your, do something with their cell phones, but I'm going to have them do something else. Take out your cell phones. Y'all got them. Some of you need to just check the ringer quick right now just because it's convenient and shut it off. So we won't have that problem later. Take out your cell phones. And, and if I do this, I'll freak somebody out. They'll be like, aren't you preaching right now? But, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head for just a couple of seconds, and I want you to listen to the voice of God. Let him drop a name in your spirit right now, a name of someone who isn't here today, a name of a friend, a family member, maybe a coworker, but a name of somebody that might need some encouragement. Maybe it's someone who isn't currently serving Christ. Maybe they are, but after that name is whispered into your spirit, I want you to text them and start that text with their first name. Be sure to tell them that God nudged you in reference to them, and you just want to tell them you care. Just do that real quick. Some of you are slow textures. It's okay, buy a smartphone. Did you do it? I'm giving you time. Taking up my preaching time, letting you text people. And you know what? It's probably the most spiritual thing we could do today. Encourage somebody. Encourage somebody. Because that, in essence, starting with their first name and saying, so-and-so, just want you to know, I was thinking about you, I was talking to God, and he, he put you on my heart. And I just want to tell you I love you and I care about you, and I think you're awesome. That's powerful. Maybe what you should do is every time you look at social media, you should make a rule for yourself that one social media look is 10 encouraging text messages to somebody. Wouldn't that change people's lives? you might just start doing that instead of social media because it's a lot more fun. Did you all do it? Yep. All right. And church, I know you're, you're, you guys are all like superheroes when it comes to living out your faith, but when was the last time that you were intentionally compassionate? When was the last time you let your own need to be encouraged take a back seat to someone else's need to be encouraged? And, and, and I'm not saying you don't, that it's not right for you to need to be encouraged. I think everybody needs encouragement. But I'm, I'm going to tell you a little secret. When you get busy encouraging everybody else, guess what you get back? It's absolutely true. When, the, when, the time, when, when was the last time that you purposefully thanked someone that you appreciated? Just thank them. See, everybody's a keeper. 
And all this falls under, under that, that point that I'm trying to make because, because talking to people and, and valuing them, it, it involves thanking them and it involves encouraging them and it, it involves seeing them and putting yourselves in their shoes and trying to minister to people because you truly care and not just, you know, I'm gonna go out and witness and then put another notch on my belt for sharing Christ with somebody. It's not like that. We do life with people. We do life with each other, and we're just trying to pull them all in because they matter. Everybody's a keeper. Are there people in your life that you don't want to share the gospel to? Well, those people. <laughs> I'm not sharing with them. You know what that sounds like? Jonah. I'm not Jonah. Yeah, Jonah. I'm not going to Nineveh. I ain't going there. I don't, want to, I don't want to see those. If I go there and preach, they might get saved. And that's basically what it's saying. They might turn to you if I go talk to them about you, God. I'm not doing that because I don't want them. I mean, good grief, right? And we, we read that story and we go, that's ridiculous. But we do it all the time. When you make people realize that you actually see them and what they're going through, you will have more ministry opportunities than you'll know what to do with. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. Whoever. I mean, you know, we talk about Jesus coming back soon, and I think, I think he is, but I really believe there's going to be a lot of shockers in heaven of who's there, of who's not, of who brought who to... To, to the place where they came, I mean, we know the Holy Spirit does, but who God used, I mean, I think we're going we're gonna to be shocked. Whosoever believes, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He doesn't want, Jesus doesn't want anyone to perish. That's why his salvation is for everyone. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've been into or what horrific thing in your past has happened, you are a keeper no matter what. I'm telling you today, you are valuable to Jesus. And if you haven't felt valued by the church, I apologize. That wasn't our intent. If you've been not valued by another church, I apologize. I don't think it was their intent, but I don't know, but it doesn't matter. You're valued by Jesus. You're valued by him. He thinks you matter. You are a keeper. You're the object of his love, and sometimes life is difficult, and it doesn't feel as though you're being loved and pursued by your creator, but you are. You absolutely are. And you're a keeper. Would you just turn to your neighbor on the other side that you haven't talked yet to today and say, you're a keeper. Yeah. I love you. Say that. No. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. <laughs> so everyone's a keeper. And number two, it's all about the encounter. Here's some more beef out of this story. Some more meat. We're foodies. We like to eat. So here's some, here's some spiritual food. It's all about the encounter. I I love that the scripture tells us why Zacchaeus climbed the sycamore tree. It says in verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. 
It doesn't say that he just wanted to see Jesus. He just didn't want to see him. He wanted to see who he was. And I think about this in reference to us, being the only Jesus that some people will ever see. Like Zacchaeus, they're lost and they're looking to see who Jesus is. The only difference is that they are looking at you and me. Zacchaeus was actually looking at Jesus physically on this earth. My question when I thought about this, I was like, are, are, Lord, am I giving him a good picture of you? Are we giving him a good picture of, giving them a good picture of Christ? Are we? And probably we can all point to plenty of areas in our lives where we, we come up short in displaying Christ. But, but let me say this, it's not about being perfect, it's about being transparent. And it's not about being holier than thou as much as it is about being repentant. And it's not about following the list of rules that we all strive to follow, it's about being humble and loving. That's what it's about. And remember when people encountered Jesus, they were transformed. Every time. They were transformed unless they rejected him. Acts 4.13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, jumping ahead in the book of Acts here, and these are Peter and John, and they were preaching, and, and, and when, the, when the religious leaders saw the courage that they had, Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They had had an encounter with Jesus, and they were changed. They were transformed. These guys shouldn't, be able to, shouldn't have been able to speak with authority and with power like they were talking, like they were doing. Zacchaeus was completely transformed by his encounter with Jesus. After he came down from the tree, he welcomed Jesus into his home. The, the scriptures bear out that, well, let's read it, Luke 19, 7 through 8. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter. We just read this together. He has, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, talk about transformation, here it is. Lord, look, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor because he's wealthy and he got it all by cheating people. And then he said, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is a man who did all of this because he loved money. It's probably true as well, it doesn't say this, I'm just maybe throwing my own imagination in here, that he was compensating for his shortness a little bit. Like, oh, I'm just gonna be ridiculed all my life. I might as well just go do this. It doesn't matter, I'm getting ridiculed anyway. And then I'll, get, I'll be rich and ridiculed. If I'm hated anyway, I might as well be rich doing it, right? So he's sitting there, he's, he, he's, he's, he's been transformed by Jesus. Jesus called his name with loving tones, came over to his house, invited himself. I, I love that too. Because sometimes you just gotta tear off the roof and, and, and do it, right? I mean, I know we sing that song, tear off the roof, God's in the house. We don't sing it yet, we're going to. But I think about that, that, that tenacity of, of, of Christ going after people. We need to be the same way with Christ, but we need to be the same way with people. Go after them. I have been on someone's roof before because they hadn't been in church. What does that mean? I climbed their roof and knocked on their window and say, where have you been? Because they wouldn't answer the door. I'm not lying. Do we love people enough? Do we love people enough to get tenacious about going after them in our love for them? Man, I, 
This guy was transformed. He gave half of his possessions to the poor, and he's going to give four times to anybody he cheated, which was probably a lot of people. Zacchaeus not only invited Christ into his life, he allowed Christ to completely transform him. And I think there's lots of people in the church who have invited Christ into their heart, but they're, they're still not quite letting Christ transform them. And it's a process, I get that too. It takes time. But I tell you what, it wasn't too much time here where, where Zacchaeus was completely transformed. He loved money, and now he was giving it all away just moments later. Sometimes that process is slower than others, but sometimes I think the process is slow because they're not quite ready to give it up yet. You know, we were singing that song, Dry Bones, and Anna made a comment about it. Jared made a comment. Pastor Jared made a comment about it. I think it's interesting that in this life, sometimes we are involved in things that make us look like we have, that we're alive. You know, we're dry bones, but we're functioning, right? You know, sometimes we, we medicate ourselves with things. Maybe it's just power, maybe it's money, maybe it's um, gossip. We, we, we do things to kind of cover up the fact that we're dead inside, that our bones are literally dry. Maybe it's addictions like alcohol or something like that, or maybe gambling. It, it could be all sorts of things. I, I'm not picking on anybody here this morning. But the bones, the reality is the bones are dry, even though these things are going, hey, look at I'm alive. I have things. I feel good. I have life. I, I was sitting there thinking about all the things maybe that, that we do to to try to maybe convince ourselves and convince others that we're alive and we got dry bones inside. When we do that, we slow down the process of transformation. Zacchaeus, it was quick. I mean, that is complete transformation in a, in a moment. And I'm not saying that it always is like that. I'm not saying it always has to be like that. But I think in some cases, we make excuses for why we don't have to be transformed. Like, well, it's going to take me years and years and decades to, to get to that point in my faith. You know what it takes to change? It takes a decision. Amen. I mean, there's, there's that too. There's, there's two sides to that. I, I, there's two sides to it. And truth is somewhere in the middle, I'm sure. But he allowed Christ to completely transform him. He tr and we know this because he tried to make amends for what he for his wrongdoing, for everything he did wrong. This, this is transformation. It's evidence of true salvation. It's a changed heart. It's a changed life. Jesus is the only one who can do that. Not a person, not a church, not a program, or a specific message that's preached. Jesus uses all those things. You bet, absolutely. But he is the one who transforms. He can transform your life. And by the way, Jesus has transformed you. Probably. Can I get an amen? <laughs> all right. He's transformed me. I'm sure we could, all, we could spend all day talking about what he's done in each and every one of our lives and how we are, are, are so different than we were before we had our encounters with him. When, we've had our, when, when we had our encounter with Jesus, it changed us. It changed us, right? I'm not looking at the same congregation that was here 10 years ago. I, I mean, or, and if you weren't here 10 years ago, I'm, I don't mean that way. I mean if you're the same people, 
people change. They're transformed. When you have an encounter with Christ, you're transformed. Carla, I met you a long time ago. You're different than you were. You encountered Jesus and you're different. You just are. Corey, man, you're different. God's transforming you still. He's transforming all of us still. But man, before you knew Jesus and after you knew Jesus, you're a different guy. Janet knows. Because before, there was at least three seats between you. Now there's only one, you know? <laughs> How many have been transformed by the power of Jesus? Yeah. Brad, I didn't know you before you knew Jesus, but I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because you're a better guy now, right? Amen. Amen. We have been transformed. Why would we hold back the goodness that's happened to us because of our encounter with Christ, that transformation, transformative uh, encounter that we had with Christ, why would we hold that to ourselves and not just run around and try to give that same message to everybody that we can possibly come in contact with? Why do we hold it back? You know, Luke 19.10 ends this story or this, this portion of Scripture and says, for the Son of Man came, to, and this is Jesus speaking, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why did Jesus come? To seek and save the lost. What was the whole purpose for Jesus coming again? To seek and save that which was lost. Jesus is always seeking to have that encounter with the lost, not to prove them wrong in a debate, not to lord over them in an arrogant religious posturing of himself. He never seeks the lost just to be right. He seeks to have that encounter with the lost in order to save them. He wants to speak to those dry bones and say, come alive. I have life for you, and it's abundant, and it's full, and it's wonderful, and you don't have to sit in the gutter of the sinful world that we live in and just, you know, endure it. Endure it. There's things we have to endure, but man, Jesus Christ can give you life and life to the fullest. He's always seeking to have that encounter with the lost. He seeks to have that encounter with the lost in order to save them. Some things to take home today. Number one, treat everybody in a way that proves that they matter to you and they matter to God because you're a picture of him. And at some point, you're, you're going to realize that, you, that uh, at some point, you did realize that you are valuable to God. That's why you're here today. Why wouldn't you extend that knowledge to others? Again, that, that, that they too are valuable to God. Why wouldn't you want to sit back, share the gospel, sit back and watch the transformation happens as they encounter Christ? There's nothing better than that, folks. There's nothing more wonderful than that. Number two, when people encounter you, do they encounter the Jesus within you? I really don't necessarily want people to encounter me. I hope they encounter the Jesus within me. That's a process. Yeah, amen. I know. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I know you. No. That's <laughs> right. All of us are in the same boat, by the way. Zacchaeus encountered Christ physically here on this earth. But Jesus is no longer walking around physically. He ascended into heaven. He's chosen to deposit his Holy Spirit within you and me. We are the very temple of the Holy Spirit of Christ. So when people encounter you, are they encountering the Holy Spirit of Jesus within you? It's, it's absolutely time for the church to speak up and speak out. 
It's time to preach in love the message of the cross, the reconciliation of the sinner to his or her creator through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He values every person. So to withhold the message of salvation from those who need it and to make excuses of why it's not our responsibility, that's just messed up, church. As we were given the message of the gospel so freely, we should in turn share it freely. You know, let me say something about Monday night. For those of you that were here, you probably know this. For those of you that weren't, you don't. But as I walked through here, and I didn't do a whole lot because everybody was doing such a great job, I just got to talk to people. But as I was walking through here, there was a very distinct smell in this building. And I, I, I'm not kidding. It, it smelled like a junior hire's foot. It was stinky. It was sweaty. It was, I, you laugh, but it was, who was here that would say, yeah, it, it smelled around here? It was, like, it was like a big sweat box as you walked through. And I thought, man, our nice church that we've worked so hard on and keeping it lovely and whatever, and we have, you know, people that clean the carpets and do all this stuff, and then we just open the doors and say, come on in and smell it up. Is that good? That's awesome. That's awesome. You guys all know what a junior hire's uh, locker smells like in gym class, don't you? Call the school. Maybe they'll give you a little uh, tour of that, and you can find out if you don't. It's, it's, it's the room you're bunking in when you're a junior high camp counselor and how the morning smells. That's what it is. That's what it was. And I'm not trying to be gross. I'm just saying, you know, when we open your doors and you, and it's not just the smell, the, the actual smell. It's, it's the smell of, of cat and body odor and, and, and smoking. Yeah, I said cat or dog. We'll say dog too. <laughs> it's not partial to cats. All of it rolled into one. I, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but... It's, it's, a, it's a smell. That is a smell. And oftentimes, I, I say this carefully, oftentimes, I'm not saying sinners smell, but sin, sin is a stench in the nose of God, right? I mean, I'm sorry. But when people live like hell, they smell like hell too. And I'm talking figuratively as much as maybe physically. That's how this church should always smell. Because we got so many lost people in here getting rescued. I'm going to get in so much trouble for all that. I just, just want you to know it's all right. This present age of the church, I want you to hear this, where grace is being poured out and it's available for all that would receive it. This age, church, it's winding down. This church age is winding down. There are things happening in the world at such a fast pace, I believe we're racing towards his second coming. And I gotta tell you this, when he comes the second time, it won't be a baby in the manger. It won't be in the humble way that he came before. This time he comes in power. 
he will come in all of his glory and majesty, and it's not going to be about grace and mercy that he brings. This time it will be judgment. Judgment upon all of his enemies. Let's not entrench ourselves in the things of this world any longer. Let's move beyond our fight to keep from conforming to the patterns of sin that are always before us. Let's move beyond that, that fight that we all have to, to not conform to it, to the patterns of this world. Let's move from defense to offense in our faith and start building his kingdom like never before. I mean, as the time grows short, we ought to stop dinking around with the stuff that we've been dinking around with too long and get busy about the Father's business. Every tear in heaven's going to be wiped away. We all know that. But it begs the question, what kind of tears would we ever cry in heaven? I believe those tears are going to be tears of regret. Regret for those we, we didn't bother telling. Regret of divine appointments that we missed, that we knew we shouldn't have. Regret of not spending more time storing up treasures in heaven instead of storing them up on this earth. I mean, you can go on and on. Jesus' ministry hasn't changed one bit since the time of Zacchaeus. He still is seeking and saving that which is lost. He's intentional about it. He plans for it. That's why he exists. Well, the moment you were saved, you were not your own anymore. You were bought with a price. And he's got a job for you to do. So it's not about the money, money, money. It's not about that. Or the job. It's not about anything here. It's about building his kingdom until he comes back. It's not about putting yourself in the shelf and waiting for Jesus to come home because you're just too tired to do anything else. He's still seeking and saving that which is lost. And he wants to do that very thing through you. Let's let him. Let's be the people, I always say this, we're like Jesus with skin on. We're dead to ourselves, we're alive to him, and we're walking around calling people, you know, come alive. Not sinner, but come alive, man. I've been where you are. I hurt for what you're going through. But here, I, 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 I want to show you something. I want to introduce you to somebody. His name is Jesus. We're not here to judge and condemn. We're here to help set people free by inviting them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus is a great story of that. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for today. I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you, God, that you've called us, every single one of us, to be your hands and feet. Lord, as we go forth from here today, I pray divine appointments would happen all over the place as we are showing them they're valued by you and by us. I pray, God, that that those opportunities would just present themselves and, and that we would even be tenacious in going after those opportunities. God, that we would share Christ, share you and all that you did for them by dying on the cross, the blood you shed, and all that that provides for them, God. I pray we would share that with them in love. We thank you for the encounter that we've had with you. Help us pass it along, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.